So uh, this morning, uh, we're going to spend some time in the Word of God. And, uh, you know, I've told you before, I, most of the time I have a plan. Uh, I have a pretty good idea week in, week out of what I'm going to talk about, what I want to say. And then there are other Sundays that, that, you know, every once in a while where I just feel like the Spirit is telling me something else and I get hit in the head enough times that I, I scrap the plan and I, uh, and it's more like a journal sermon because I'm, I'm kind of sharing with you what God is imparting to me and you're kind of overhearing it. And so not totally sure uh, where I'm going to go uh, with this this morning. So I do need your prayers, um, but just uh, know that uh, this is just some of the things that God has been revealing and that have, um, that have hit me uh, very deeply, and I hope uh, and pray that it does you as well this morning. So with that, let me pray for us. Lord, who, who are we? Who are we that you would lavish on us all that we have? Your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness your peace, your hope, your joy. Father, I, I have no other prayer other than to ask that you would help us understand the depth of what lies behind that question and that you would pull us close to you today, perhaps in ways that we've never known. So come by your spirit, Lord. I'm a, I'm a sinful, broken man. And I can't do this without you. So come and bless and glorify yourself, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text today is from 1 Chronicles uh, 29, and it's verses 10 through 16. And... Uh, this is a prayer of David in a very critical time, which I'll explain to you in a minute. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O oh Lord, our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand. 
and all of it belongs to you. This is the word of the Lord today for you, his church, his people. And may we understand the glory, the majesty, the splendor, the honor of the great God whom we call Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I want to start off this morning and just ask you a, a question, and, and it's this. Um, how much would you say today that your life is worth? You know, maybe you've been thinking about that with current economic headwinds and, and inflation and all the things we have going on economically. Uh, my 401k is not what it was uh, lately, so my worth is a little bit less, but it's an interesting question, especially in light of something I came across um, a few years ago in the USA Today. It was a story about a guy named Ian Usher. He's 44 years old, lived in Australia at the time, and he was recently divorced, very painful season in his life, and he just decided that he wanted a new life. He wanted a complete start over, a complete redo. And so he made the decision that he was going to sell his life on eBay. And, and I mean, when I say he was going to sell his life, he sold the whole thing. So it wasn't just his fully furnished condo, his mid-sized luxury car, all of the adventure gear. He was a real outdoorsy sportsman kind of guy. So kayaks, camping gear, skydiving equipment, scuba gear, all of that came uh, with everything. So it was everything that he owned, but it was also his social life and his professional life. He went to his boss and he said, I want you to make a deal with me that you will allow the person who buys my life to work for you for a month. And at the end of a month, then you can decide whether to keep them on permanently. His boss agreed. He went to all of his friends, his whole social network. And he said, I want you to promise me that for the first six weeks that this person is in this life, that you will invite them to everything you do. You'll bring them to dinner. You would treat them just the way that you would treat me. And then after six weeks, if you decide they're not your kind or your type or you want to be your friend, then you don't have to do that anymore. So every element of Ian Usher's life, he put up on eBay and it started for sale at $1 at nine o'clock in the morning, only slightly more than I would get were I to try to sell my life. And, but by noon, the highest bid was $400,000. By 6 p.m. that night, he had 100 bidders and the highest bid was $1.8 million for someone to buy his whole life. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting because Mr. Usher was no fool, apparently. He decided it was getting all this national and international global attention. This guy's selling his life on eBay, so what did he do? He decided to monetize the interest, and if you want to get any more information about what happened to Mr. Usher, you have to subscribe to his podcast and his uh, uh, social media service for $10.99 a month. I wasn't willing to do that, so I have no idea what happened to him. <laughs> all, all of you guys are going... What's the end of the story? I have no idea. I'm cheap. I ain't spending 1099. But it raises the question, doesn't it? How much is our life worth? But not just that, but do we actually have the authority? Does our life really belong to us in a way that we have the right to sell it as if it were ours? I remember when I was in middle school, I tried to sell my little sister's bike. I went to a buddy of mine. I said, I'll sell you this bike for 10 bucks. And he goes, that bike's not even yours. I go, well, she won't care. 
Well, turns out she did, right? It wasn't mine. So I had no, I had no right to sell it. So what is it that actually belongs to us? Well, the first thing you have to know is 1 Corinthians 6.20. And it says this, for you are not your own. You were bought at a price. And that is the foundation of all of Christianity. And it flies in the face of everything that our culture is trying to tell us today about it's my choice, it's my freedom, it's my right, it's all about me. Christianity is the exact opposite of that. Because what we say is it's actually not my right anymore. It will never be my choice. And I am not free to do what I want. But on Calvary's Hill, my life was purchased by a God who loved me so much as to give his own life for me. And from that moment forward, I belong unto him, no longer a slave to sin, but now a slave unto righteousness. So my right and my privilege and my freedom is to ask the one who does own my life, the one to whom my life belongs, my freedom and my right is to ask of him, what, oh, Father, would you have me do? And what would bring glory to your wondrous name? So I know my life does not belong to me and it's not mine to give away. But what about all the accoutrements that come with my life? What about all the things that surround our lives, all of our money and our stuff and our things. And that's when we start getting into the whole question of what we think we own. Ownership is an interesting thing because for many of us, what we own is a symbol of our worth and value to the world. We seem to say within ourselves, look world at what I have. Do you see? I'm successful. I'm this. This is who I am based on what I have. And there are some of us who yearn for that so much that we're willing to actually not own things. We just go into huge amounts of debt because we wanna send the message, look at what I have. But when we don't own things, it's also interesting because when you don't really think you're the owner of it, you don't give it near the same treatment that you do the things that you own. You don't take care of them, right? All you have to do is look at airport bathrooms or rental apartments to find this out, right? When it's not yours, you just don't care about it that much. You're not gonna take care of it and treat it in the same manner with the same respect. And so it should make sense to us then in an age and in a culture when more and more people are saying they have no faith, they're not connected to any kind of church that then generosity in the church is diminishing. Generosity in the church is falling because fewer and fewer people are part of it, are invested in it care about it. You know, the, the church, well, it's, it's okay. I mean, I'm probably glad it's there more than if it were not there, but it's not really my thing. So I'm not going to give or invest anything to make it happen. And, and that kind of speaks to recent statistics in terms of, of generosity and giving by percentage. You know who the most generous people are? They're people who make less than $10,000 a year. People who make less than $10,000 a year give 5.2% of it away. And I think part of the reason is because they know 
that they have no security within themselves, that their security and their provision is going to be found elsewhere. The people who give the least are people who make more than $100,000. They give on average 1.6% of their income. Because the more we have, the more that feeling begins to overtake us that this is my security, that I have to guard and protect this and hold it tightly. And we tend to get less generous. So this whole question of ownership and what belongs to me and what is mine and what is the Lord's, it's such an important question for all of us to consider as we seek to mature as God's people. And that's what David is talking about in 1 Chronicles 29. He's calling for an offering to be given by the people of God in order for a temple to be built, a place where God could come down to dwell, to be present with his people. And it says earlier in the text, it says that the people gave with wholehearted devotion. They gave wholeheartedly. In other words, it wasn't a financial decision. It was a heart decision. It was a spiritual decision. And it's so interesting to me how it all unfolds because David is actually coming to the end of his rule. He's been king for 40 years, a time of relative prosperity in Israel. Now it's time for Solomon to come on. But meanwhile, God has said, I want you to build me this temple. So David calls for the offering. And yet he knows he's probably not gonna be the one. Well, he's, he's definitely not gonna be the one to see the temple actually finished. Solomon is gonna see that through. But David is so worried. And he even says again, earlier in the text, he says he's concerned about Solomon's inexperience. And he knows that Israel in times of prosperity often became prideful and sinful and rejected God. They would walk away from him in times of peace only to then what be punished until they would become obedient again. So David's worried that that's gonna happen. And so what does David do? Verse one of chapter 29, he calls everybody together in the whole assembly. And, and this is like his last shot. I mean, he knows he's coming to the end. And so you think of all the, when you know it's your last shot, you're gonna talk about the very most important things. And what does David start talking about? He starts talking about money. And you go, that, that's not what I was thinking was gonna happen here. I thought he'd talk about obedience. I thought he'd talk about faithfulness. I talk, thought he was talking about the, the love of God. But why would David start talking about money? Why did Jesus talk about money so often? There's an article in the USA Today by a non-pastor guy named Tom Eric. He wrote a column called Not Heard from the Pulpit. Said Jesus devoted roughly two thirds of his teaching to our need to give away wealth and to value humility and servanthood more than power. Yet in a typical congregation, it is safer to preach about someone else's sexual behavior than about the wise and faithful use of money. And it's true you all are only going to be okay and comfortable if I preach on money a small number of times each year. More than a certain number and y'all start to complain. And I remember back in the recession, you remember those years? It was not good financially. But I went to the, the elders at the time and I said, hey, I have a great idea. You ready? I'm gonna preach on money for 10 weeks in a row. And they said, Swanson, you are an idiot. 
Like, please, please don't do that. Please don't. The staff was no more supportive. They was like, bad idea. I go, well, what, what do you think's gonna happen? People are gonna quit coming. Giving will go down. Well, I'm stubborn enough to say, well, let's see how it goes. So I preached for 10 weeks on money. It was a series called The Economy of God. And lo and behold, during that series, giving in our church during the recession rose 27%. Yeah. That's called premature clapping. Because the next sentence here in my manuscript says that within three months of the conclusion of that series, our giving had dropped right back to where it was before the series started. So we got it. Then we quit talking about it. We kind of went right back to our old behaviors. So now you understand. Why why does the scripture talk over and over again about money? Why does Jesus talk as he says, more than two-thirds of the content of Jesus' messages in the gospel are about money and humility and power and stuff and things. Why? Because those are the places where God knows we're weak. Those are The things that God talks about all the time are the things that God knows are going to be the areas in life where we struggle. So, of course, he's going to talk about that more. So, please understand today that I'm not, I'm not trying to annoy you by talking about money. I'm really not, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to diminish attendance or, or anything like that. I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. But I will say, if when me or anyone else stands up here and talks about generosity, if that makes you uncomfortable, I think that's a real good question to ask yourself and say, well, why is that? What, why do I feel uncomfortable when people start talking about money in the church? I think we ought to get at the, at the heart of that. But, but for me today, and this is where the Lord just kind of kept hammering on me, not on you, this is just me, hammering on me was in light of all of our current economic headwinds, inflation and interest rates going up and the market going down and uncertainties politically and socially and all the other things going on. What happens is that squeezes our generosity. It starts to put pressure on what we're willing to give away because you and I feel less secure We feel less secure because we're not sure how much we're going to have. And see, I believe at the end of the day, that really is a spiritual issue. And as so often happens when I'm just sharing, I talk too long and I am so far behind, it's not even funny. So first thing, just so we're clear, we are not the owners of anything, nothing. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Everything you have comes from God, period. End of story. I don't know that there's any other text outside of 1 Chronicles 29.10-16 that says it more clearly, that you, you can't argue with this. Verses 11 and 12, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory, and the majesty, and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Hard stop. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Then, as if that's not enough, he goes on and says, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. 
And that should make sense to us. If we ascribe to God theologically, and we do, that his is the greatness and the majesty and the honor and the splendor and the glory, that he's the creator of everything, including our lives, and that he made us to be in relationship with him so that we might be used for his purposes and the building of his kingdom. So God was not made for us, we were made for him. We were made to do his work, to be a part of his kingdom. It would then stand to reason that if he is the owner and the creator of everything, then what is poured into our lives by definition should then be used for his ultimate purposes, that our question should be of all that is given to us, of all that the owner pours into us, we should be saying to the one who has purchased our lives, what, O oh Lord, would you care for me to do with this that is yours to begin with? And the beauty of that is when we recognize we're not the owner, takes all the pressure off of us, makes our decision so much easier. We don't have to get stressed about how much do we have? Is it this, is it that? Oh, I gotta protect it and this and that. And so it isn't mine. It's the Lord's. And all I have to do is ask him, Father, what would you have me do? But then here's the part that just has wrecked me the last week. And I'm sorry, I'm just... uh... He says in verse 14, he praises God for all these things. And then he says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? And see, what I didn't read to you was the whole first part of chapter 29 is all the wealth that had accumulated in Israel. They gave it with wholehearted devotion in order to build this temple. So Israel was wealthy. So understand people, wealth's not bad. What makes wealth bad is what, it sometimes does to us in our hearts. But, but they've poured out this offering. And, but then he says, who are we? He says, everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. And so I've spent days trying to appreciate all that God has given me that I flat out do not deserve. Who are we that we got born here? That Lucy and Foster got born to their parents? Who are we that we that we get to worship here? That we can come in and sing freely? and be in relationships and and wear nice clothes. And we don't fear every night where we might sleep or what we might eat. Do you know the difference between you and a homeless person? Grace. That's it. And some of you would say, well, no, no, I would never make those decisions. Well, who gave you your brain? Well, no, no, I, I, I created this company. And I did, well, who gave you the ideas? Friends, there's no wiggle room in 1 Chronicles 29. You know, I was reading a Christianity Day magazine and there's a picture of a little kid in Sudan. Who are we 
that we got born here and not there. You know the only reason? Grace. And the danger for us spiritually is when we start to think that we actually did it ourselves or that somehow we deserve it because the more we incline to ourselves as being the creators of what we have and the owners of it, we begin to take for granted the true giver. Gratitude diminishes in our hearts and we become dangerously close to worshiping ourselves. You know, it's like in college, maybe this happened to you. I hated group projects. Group projects were awful because I knew good and well that the other people in my group were not gonna work as hard as I was gonna work to try to get the grade that I wanted to make. And so I, two times there was this dude and he got assigned to my group and he was lazy as the day is long. And the three other people in the group were awesome. And we worked our tails off and did a great project and he would come in late and make no contribution. And yet somehow his name still got to go on the paper. And when the professor handed it back, there was an A on it and he was like, yes. And then I heard him as he walked away say, I killed that. I'm like, but you didn't do a thing. And yet you're taking credit for it. And see, he, he was taking all the work that we had done and he was the one, he was credited to him himself. And that's what you and I can begin to do. There's, a, there's a, a statue that was created, a statue, a sculpture that was created by a, a nonprofit called Funding Free, uh, Freedom. And the statue is called Self-Made Man. And I, I find it kind of humorous, but the description of it is this. The powerful image of the rugged self-made man chiseling himself out of a solid block of rock captures the essence of the freedom philosophy that left to his own devices, man will use his God-given talents to be creative, productive, and prosperous. Using free will, he will better his own situation and that of those around him, thereby influencing in a positive way his own destiny. People with all due respect, a sculpture cannot chisel itself. I mean, the sculpture is literally... It's a, it's a block of whatever it is and the upper half of this man and he's holding a chisel and a hammer and he's, but the, his bottom half is just unchiseled rock and he's like chiseling himself. He's a self-made man. That is, that's just the biggest lie of all time. We can no more create ourselves than a sculpture can chisel itself out of a piece of rock. We are not self-made. We are God-made. And I believe that the only way that you and I are ever gonna really grow in this is through the maturity of our lives, that, that we discover the same thing the people of Israel discovered, and that was this, that God said, I wanna create a temple where I can come down and be with you. Friends, that is the essence of the church of Jesus Christ today. What we're trying to do is to create a ministry 
create a community of believers in which the presence of God by his Holy Spirit can come down and dwell in our midst so that others on the outside can see him and come to know him and be attracted by him. And in our giving and generosity, because we believe by the maturity of our faith that there is nothing in this world that can bring hope other than Jesus Christ. He is the singular hope of the world. Because of that, regardless of what headwinds may be before us, we continue to be generous because we so desperately want God to come down and be amongst us, to be with us and to reveal himself to us. And people, it scares me beyond measure. I had lunch and I'll finish with this band. You're about ready to come up. I had lunch with a guy who is the CEO of the largest commercial builder in Southwest Florida. And we're having lunch down the street and he's come by the church and he looks at me over lunch and he says, David, do you realize the value of your property? He goes, do you know how, how much a developer would pay to get a hold of that? And I said, actually, I'm well aware of that. Study that many times. And I said to him, Steve, we are so, for, who are we to be in this place? And he said, you know, no church could ever afford to be in that place again. And what scares me is when I open a magazine or I see on the news that a church has been converted into apartments or a restaurant or a museum. People, may we always know that who are we to deserve this? And if God has poured into our lives what solely belongs to him, then generosity should flow so freely from our lives in order to create a dwelling place for him within the community of this place where God by his grace has allowed us to be before the business community and the arts community and the government of our county and our city. And we have been uniquely placed. And the only way that God will ever be able to maximize that for us is when you and I are faithful in our generosity to him. I read somewhere last week, don't know where it was, but it was just a single phrase. Be who you say you are. Be who you say you are. As Christians, we're a generous people because God has lavished his love and grace on undeserving people. Who are we? Well, now that he has, I pray that we would be who we say we are and that we would generously give to create in this place, in this community, a dwelling place for the living God that by our faithfulness and generosity, others would be attracted to his saving grace. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you for these last days I know the conversation between you and me isn't over or settled. But Father, I just feel so humbled today that I get to be here 
that I live here, that I minister here, that I have the things I have, that I have the freedom to go the places that I go. All by your grace and everything that I experience, all that I have belongs to you. And so would you remind us collectively that if it all belongs to you, then would you find us faithful in how we generously use it for your larger purposes? No matter the current economics of our circumstance, for your greater glory, and for the splendor of your name. We ask it and pray it in Christ our Lord.